Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Hi, it's good to see you this morning. My name's Jenny, and I'm super excited about um, this morning and all that God has got in store for us. Um, I'm proud of Simon this morning. He's He's been joyful and happy despite despite the uh, British Lions losing last night. Shame. It was a very sad moment in our house. <laughs> in fact, I gave up watching and just went off and carried on preparing for today. I didn't see the point in watching us die. <laughs> you wait, though. We're going to be there live next week. So if the Lions win next week, you will not hear the end of it from Simon. <laughs> Anyway, we're not here this morning to talk about, um, I was going to say cricket then, not here to talk about cricket or rugby. (laughs) We're here to look at um, the Bible, the Word of God, and we're in John this morning. We're up to John 4 and the story of the Samaritan woman at the well who Jesus met with. And I just think this is such a timely message for us in this moment as we as a church, as individuals, are seeking to grow our love for and our time spent with people who are not yet followers of Jesus. And we know, don't we, that if we as a church are going to see 1% of this region um, become baptised followers of Jesus, that each of us needs to play our part. Each of us needs to discover what it is that we need to do. And Jeff Jones was here a couple of weeks ago from Chase Oaks in the States, and um, he was so inspiring. And I remember one phrase that he used that has stuck with me. He said, good works create goodwill so someone can receive good news. It was an inspiring message, wasn't it? And I know um, people in our lives have been loving, dreaming, what are the good works we can do? What are, the, what are the ways that we can show people God's love so that we can create goodwill? But I think sometimes we wish that the good news would be written across the sky or on someone's mirror, don't we? We'd rather that than having to tell the good news to people. And so this morning's passage, the verses that we're looking at, are really watching Jesus do that. And what better way for us to learn than to look at how Jesus did it with the people that he encountered. I was out running last week. I try and run into work a couple of times a week. And I run early so that I've got time to get ready for work. And so it was dark. I'm just running along the path. And I sort of, you know when you trip and you nearly fall flat on your face and it's a bit embarrassing. And I was slightly concerned for myself because it was just a path. And I thought, what on earth am I tripping over? But I looked down and was relieved to see that it wasn't nothing. But the path had become really bumpy um, and was sort of all lumps and bumps and cracks. And I looked up to my right and I could see these enormous trees growing up to the side of the path. And I realized, wow, these are the roots from these trees. And the power and the strength that must be in those roots that they can push a footpath out of the way and they can begin to crack the footpath like they're going to burst through. And You know, this might sound a bit random, but it made me begin to ponder trees on my run to work. But how crucial those giant roots are for a tree, especially a tree in Wellington. Not only are those roots there to provide nourishment for the tree so that it can grow and be healthy, but it helps the tree to stay grounded so that when those crazy Wellington winds come, it can stand and not be blown over. Um, But a big, strong tree, for it to exist, it needs deep, strong roots. We, as a family, went for a walk a couple of years ago. I've got a photo of two of our girls 
next to a tree that we went to find. It's an 800-year-old Rimu tree in Wilton Bush. You know, when we look at trees, we marvel, I mean this tree, we marveled at the size of the trunk. We marveled at the height of the tree and the branches and the leaves. And often we marvel at the fruit. But how often do we look at a tree and marvel at the roots? Or think, wow, that tree must have amazing roots. We don't think about that, do we? Because they're hidden, they're beneath the ground, but they're so crucial. And if we think about Jesus today... In today's passage, it's a beautiful showcase, if you like, of the tree above the ground. It's a beautiful showcase of the leaves and the branches and the fruit of Jesus' life. But I want us to look at today's passage in the context of the roots that are inevitable for a tree to be that strong and that healthy and that beautiful. So before we move to the passage, I just want us to consider what were those roots in Jesus' life? What are the things that we knew that he had firmly... Um, planted and rooted in him. The first thing is that he was engaged in prayer. You know, in Luke 5:16 it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I could have picked one of many examples of where, when it says that Jesus prayed. He prayed before important things. He prayed at all times. He was a man of prayer. And he didn't just talk to God. He listened too. It says in John 5:19, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So the first route we see in Jesus is he engaged in prayer. The second is that he read the Bible. He knew it. He'd obviously spent time invested in the word of God. And I know that because he quoted it all the time. He quoted it with people that didn't know him. He quoted it with the Pharisees. He even quoted the word of God to Satan himself. And so I know that that was one of his roots. He was invested in making that um, a massive part of his life. And the last route I see in him was that he was surrendered to the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, verse 1, and these verses blow me away. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Wow. The, the submission to the Holy Spirit to be led into the wilderness, to be tempted for 40 days. I wonder if he knew as he was being led in, what he was being led to do. But he was so surrendered and so empowered by the Holy Spirit that that's what he did. And so as we look at this passage today, I want us not to try and imitate the external that we see Jesus demonstrating, but I want us to be inspired by what we see Jesus doing, inspired to know that if we put roots down like Jesus did, those strong, powerful roots that go deep, that actually we can experience the same things that Jesus experienced. We can see the same fruit demonstrated in our lives. Our trees above the ground can look the same. We have so much that is open to us in him. And so let's look at John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Open your Bibles if you have them, but it's on the screen if you don't. And it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. We're just going to stop there for a minute. He had to go through Samaria. I thought this was a 
interesting phrase, and so I looked into it a bit more. So the Samaritans were the people of Samaria, and Jews saw Samaritans as unclean. Their history was that they were Israelites who had intermarried, and so Jews saw them as not pure, um, not good, and there was actually quite a lot of hostility between them. Um, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other very much at all. In fact, there was so much hostility between them that um, Jews often would avoid Samaria altogether. So when they were journeying to Galilee, they would often cross over the Jordan and go up the other side, which was a much longer route, took them way out of their way. But so much did they want to not go through Samaria that they would go that other way. And so it says Jesus had to go that way. So he didn't have to go that way because there was no other way. We know there was another way because many Jews took the other way. So what was it? The word translated as had to in the Greek, I had to look at it. And it's used really often by Jesus when he's talking about his mission, his mission here on earth. One of the examples is in Matthew 16, 21. It's up on the screen. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go. It's the same word there as had to. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. I don't know for sure, but I get a real sense here that actually Jesus had such a clear idea of what his mission was. He was so surrendered to where God was leading him. That's why he had to go that way, because it was where God was leading him to go. He wasn't in a hurry. He didn't want to see a particular sight along that road, but he was responsive to where the Holy Spirit was leading him. And I wonder if we're open to going where the Holy Spirit leads us. And I'm not just talking about overseas to India or Africa to serve on the mission field, although that's valid and absolutely incredible. But I'm talking about maybe the football club or the netball club, or maybe the working bee at school, or maybe it's the lonely neighbour that you have that you know if you go to their house, you're going to be there a while because they talk a lot. (laughs) And maybe you feel like, I just don't have time to be led that way. You know, it's personal to me. We have a neighbour like that who's 86. And as we've moved into our new home in our new area, we've tried to be really intentional about getting to know our neighbours. And so we've discovered that when we pop over and say hello, we're there a while. And I had dropped home the other day after work to drop my car off because I wanted to walk to school so that the girls could walk home from school. And so I was in a hurry. I just had enough time to walk to school and pick them up. And... um, My neighbour was outside his front garden and um, he started running towards me as I walked up my house. Now he's 86 and I was quite surprised that he was running. And everything in me wanted to say, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't got time. I'm rushing to score. I'm rushing to get the girls. But I felt a nudge. I felt a prompting in my spirit to stop and to talk to him. And I knew it wasn't going to be quick. And so I stopped and said, hi. And he said, I just wanted to let you know, my wife died last night. And she'd been sick, she'd been in a rest home. But it was such a lesson to me, it was such a precious moment where I didn't do do anything or say anything profound, but I was able to be there in that moment and give him a hug and to love him and care for him. And if I had followed 
my selfish desires and got on with my business that day, I'd have missed that moment. But I responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not bigging myself up here. I'm sure there's many moments where I've totally missed that nudge. But what what an encouragement to us to be responsive when the Holy Spirit is leading us to go to a physical place. It might not be a place that's far away. It might be somewhere really close by, but it actually is inconvenient. And it's not the place that we want to go. But would we commit ourselves to God in the same way that Jesus did? Would we put down those strong, deep roots that he did so that we actually realise when the Holy Spirit is leading us somewhere and we'd be responsive enough to say, yes, I'm willing to do that, whatever the sacrifice for me. So the first way our lives will be different if we live the way that Jesus did, if our roots are the same as the places we go will be different. Let's carry on reading from John 4. We're going to read from verse 5. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? (coughs) Excuse me. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I'm going to stop there for a minute. This was not a desirable encounter for a Jew. I've already talked about the hostility that existed between Jews and Samaritans. You know, Jews were taught that because Samaritans were unclean, if you were to use a drinking vessel that a Samaritan had used, you would become ceremonially unclean. Jesus would have been really aware of this. They also had rules around Jewish men speaking to women. They weren't allowed to speak with a woman on the street, not even their own wife. They were not allowed to speak to women on the street, especially not someone else's wife. In fact, they weren't even allowed to greet a woman. And so this is another effect we see of a totally surrendered life to God with those deep, strong roots. The Holy Spirit may lead you to speak to people that maybe are a little bit out of your comfort zone. Or maybe aren't the people that you would naturally choose to speak to. Maybe aren't the people you would naturally choose to associate with. I was working in a cap debt centre a year or so ago. And um, I had a client there. I'm not going to tell you his real name, but he was a Samoan man. And I asked my daughter Gracie what a Samoan man's name was. And she said Tainui. So that's what he's going to be called this morning. So my cap client, who's not really called Tainui, but he is today... And when I went to visit clients, I never knew what to expect. I never knew what temperament or personality or even what mood my client was going to be in as I got to their house. Often they were living in very stressful situations in very stressful times. And so I literally didn't know. And I remember meeting him the first time and he was a big Samoan guy. Um, But he normally was dressed in a Samoan skirt, which I believe is called a lover lover. Does anyone know that? Am I right? Great. And um, so it, it was, he was an interesting man. He was quite imposing in his stature. And to give you an idea, if I was walking down the street in the dark by myself and I had come across him, I probably would have crossed the road to the other side. He was quite imposing in his stature. And one time I met him, he told me that he'd been banned from work and income for... Um, 
he'd got upset with the person that he was dealing with and he'd stood up and sworn at them and become a bit aggressive and so they had said, right, you're not allowed in any work and income office in the entire Wellington region, which is interesting because we had to deal a lot with work and income and it meant I had to go in on his behalf. But the cool thing about our debt centre is we have this army of people, many of whom are in this room, who pray, who pray for our clients and who pray for our support workers and who pray for our debt coaches. And there was never a moment when I was meeting with Tainui when I felt nervous or um, intimidated. I never felt that way and he was never aggressive to me. He was always lovely. In fact, I really grew to love him. And one time um, I visited him, we ended up leading him to Jesus which was such an incredible and special moment. But as I was thinking about this message today, I was thinking about how if I hadn't been open to engaging with someone, his culture is so different to my culture. His background is so different to my background. His life, his whole life is so different to my life. And I really was out of my comfort zone when I was having conversations with him. But if I hadn't been open to that, if I hadn't been open to the Holy Spirit using me in those situations, I'd have missed out on the privilege of leading him to Jesus. Sometimes God wants us to reach out to the people that we wouldn't normally speak to. And so I wonder if we'd be so surrendered to God, so surrendered to the Holy Spirit's leading and his nudge that we'd have the courage to say yes in those moments. From verse 10 to 29, it's an account of the conversation Jesus goes on to have with this Samaritan woman. And I'm not going to read it all because it's long, but I just want us to notice a couple of things about the way Jesus approaches this conversation with this woman. He starts off really practical, which I find so encouraging. Like, he was just normal. He was tired and he was hot. It was midday. He'd been walking in the sun and so he sat down by the well. He saw the Samaritan woman come to draw water and so he said, Can I have a drink, please? It was just normal. He just engaged normally. We don't have to be super spiritual when we are engaging with people who aren't yet followers of Jesus, for God to use us in those moments. He started off in a really normal way. But do you know what? He quickly moved the conversation onto something spiritual. The funny thing about this conversation is, um, I think if I was having the conversation with someone, I'd have been put off very early on in the conversation. And the reason is, as Jesus was communicating these beautiful, amazing spiritual truths about Um, eternal life being like living water and this well that would spring up within you and you'd never be thirsty again. It's like beautiful, beautiful pictures of what we can access when we put our faith in Jesus. She totally wasn't getting any of it. She thought he was talking about a physical well. She was confused. She was like, are you talking about a real drink that is going to mean I'm never going to be thirsty again? Where is this water? I want some. And I was thinking the times when maybe I've been put off in a conversation because I think we're heading down a certain way towards something spiritual and deep and profound and the other person is totally not on the same page as me. What an encouragement for me it was to see, wow, this happened with Jesus as well. But you know, I don't believe for a minute that we need to stop speaking the truth because someone's not even understanding what I'm saying. I believe that that truth that Jesus was speaking was powerful in a miraculous way. You know, he wasn't giving a logical argument. He wasn't trying to persuade this woman, um, this is the truth and this is why it's the truth. 
I think there's space for that, definitely. There's questions that people are asking that mean sometimes we need to give a logical answer, but that logical answer is never going to bring someone to a point of salvation. Salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle that only happens by the Holy Spirit. And so I want us this morning to just take the weight off of our shoulders a little bit. And maybe where we have been crippled by thinking, I can't engage in a conversation with someone because I don't know the answers. What if they ask me something too hard? I don't have a logical enough argument. I can't persuade them. Jesus isn't asking us to persuade anyone. And as we saw by this conversation, he didn't persuade the Samaritan woman this day. Do you know what the... Samaritan woman was not on the same page as Jesus until the Holy Spirit gave him a key, a key to unlock her situation. And we're just going to read it. It's verse 16. It says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. The whole conversation turned from that point. And the interesting thing is, he never comes back to this. He didn't bring that up because he wanted to condemn her or tell her how awful that her life was and that she needed to change. He didn't mention it again. It was literally a key to unlock the situation for her to come onto the same page and understand what he was talking about. We... um, We got broken into a couple of years ago. We'd gone away for a long weekend and we came home to find our house totally ransacked, which was quite traumatic, but we were all good. One of the ways we knew we'd been broken into was the front door was an absolute mess. And we had a a wooden front door with like panels on it. And they had obviously tried to knock one of the panels out and there were drilled holes in the door. There were chunks of wood that had been like, chiseled out or something they drilled in where the latch was and I think that's how they'd actually managed to get in but I would hate to think how long it had taken them they'd made such a mess of the door and it would have taken so much effort and so much stress and then when you think if you have a key you put the key in the lock and you turn the lock and the door opens it just struck me that ease And the simplicity when you have the key. And I think how similar it is to us when we are having these conversations like Jesus. She totally was missing the point until he had the key. And as soon as he had the key, it unlocked the situation. And, you know, going back to this cap client, Tai Nui, I went to visit him one day and I couldn't find a support worker to go with me. And so Andy Smith, our exec pastor, came with me. And we were sat talking to him, and Tainu was just sharing some of his story. And he mentioned his age. And Andy Smith noticed. And the Holy Spirit gave him a nudge, because the age Tainu said he was, was the age Andy Smith came to faith in Jesus. And Andy felt prompted in that moment, I think I need to share my story with him. And so he said, would you mind? I feel like I need to share my story with you. It was Andy sharing his testimony that led us to see him put his faith in Jesus, that meant we had the privilege to pray with him in that moment. And I think that's what that key can look like in our conversations. Sometimes it may look like a word of knowledge like Jesus had. And I wonder how many times we expect that 
as we're talking with someone. I know I don't often enough. I don't know. I know I don't engage with someone and think, oh, the Holy Spirit probably wants to tell me something about you so that I can find a key into your situation. But I believe the Holy Spirit does want to give us keys to unlock situations in people's lives that we come across. You know, whatever you do, don't stop talking to people because this freaks you out. If, if this sounds like, whoa, this is new to me, I don't really understand what you're talking about, I don't know what it's like to get a prompting by the Holy Spirit, practice. If you're in a life group, I want to challenge you and encourage you. Next time you go to life group, pray that the Holy Spirit would give you a key, would give you something that would unlock a situation in that life group. And, you know, say to the people in your life, say, do you know what? I'm new at this, but I want to grow. Would you be gracious with me? I believe maybe the Holy Spirit has put something on my heart for you. And test it out. If we can't grow and learn in this environment, where can we? But let's equip ourselves with the tools that we can use as we go and engage with people in the world. Because I believe God wants us to see people come to know him. And I believe he's given us the keys to do it if we would be aware of them. And so if we're fully surrendered like Jesus was, then I believe that the words we say will be different. The disciples came back and tried to get Jesus to eat. And Jesus says in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That word finish is the same word as is in John 19.30 when Jesus dies. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I think there's something really significant about that word finish. Jesus was so committed to his mission When he died in that moment on the cross, he knew it was done. He had fulfilled what he had come to do. And he said to the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He was so committed to the mission that God had sent him on. Everything he did worked towards that mission. Everything he said worked towards it. Everywhere he went worked towards that mission. And we might think, well, it's easy for Jesus because he had a clear mission. He knew what he was here to do. We have a mission. We have a really clear mission. And I'm going to read it to us. And this won't be new to many of you, but I'm going to read it again because I think we need to remind ourselves of this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What would it look like for us to be as committed to our mission as Jesus was. This has got me this week. What would it look like for me to be as committed to my mission as Jesus was? You know, at the end, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I don't know about you, but often when I'm speaking with people, who aren't followers of Jesus, I don't come away with the impression that the fields are ripe. Sometimes it feels really tough, and sometimes it feels like people aren't interested, and people are quite happy with the life that they have. And so it makes me wonder, if Jesus says it's ripe, 
I'm 100% certain Jesus wasn't making it up. So if Jesus said the field is ripe, then maybe I'm looking in the wrong direction. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places. And so can we learn from Jesus this morning and begin to ask the Holy Spirit with expectation to be leading us to physical places that we maybe haven't been or aren't going to, to lead us to talk to people that we wouldn't normally choose to talk to, And to have conversations where we expect the Holy Spirit to give us the words to say. We can't expect to see different results in our lives if we don't change the way we're doing it. And I want to just focus us in this moment. I I do not want us to go away from here today going, great, I'm going to go to more places, I'm going to do more stuff, I'm going to talk to more people, I'm going to get busy for Jesus. Do you remember I said at the start that what we see in Jesus today was the tree above the ground. It was the result of the roots that he had put down. And that we can only expect to see that fruit, that tree, be our experience if we're prepared to put our roots down like Jesus did. And so that's being engaged in prayer. That's reading the Bible. It's being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to challenge us with today and challenge us as we put our roots down like that, as we engage like Jesus did, that we can expect our lives to look like his did. You know, the harvest wasn't just that one woman that day that he met at the well. She was the door to many people from that town coming to faith in Jesus. And my heart is that That would be our experience. Is that your heart today? My heart is that we wouldn't be people who feel like we're banging our heads against a brick wall and are seeing the ones and twos come in. But my heart is that we would have divine encounters with people that would mean one person comes in and is the door to many people coming in. That would see God moving and working through our lives because we're willing to put the work in in the roots where it matters. In Ephesians, it says that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is available to us. And I know those words, but I don't think I really expect that power all the time to be demonstrated in my life. And and so I want us to respond to this message this morning. We're going to spend some time worshipping in a moment if the worship team would come back up to the stage. But I believe if we really get hold of this today, if we really commit to the mission to the same extent that Jesus committed to his mission, if we really grasp the importance of the roots that Jesus had, I believe that every one of our lives will be radically different as a result. And I believe that we will see God moving powerfully through us, not in the ones and twos, but in the crowds and in the hundreds and in thousands. And and so if you know God's speaking to you today, I'm going to ask for a bold response today. I'm going to ask that if you know you need to respond, that you would come up to the front. And I'm asking for a bold response today because I believe this is a bold decision. And I'm responding to this today. God has messed with me this week as I've prepared this message. I know that I need to get more serious. I know that this is about me responding today as much as anyone. So I want to encourage you. 
If you know that that power I just described is missing from your life, you need to come forward this morning and we'd love to pray with you. You know, if you recognise this morning that those roots that I've described are lacking for you, then come forward and let someone pray with you this morning. If you've got strong roots, but you know, actually, my willingness to respond to that nudge is not there. I don't say yes often enough. You need to come forward this morning and respond. You know, and I believe coming forward, getting out of your seats is a demonstration this morning that you're saying enough is enough. From this moment, things are going to be different. From this moment, my life is going to change. And you know, there's Nick and Sarah away this morning and there's Simon and I, but I know that you don't need a pastor to pray with you this morning. There's nothing special about us. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not responding, be attentive to the Holy Spirit's nudge for you this morning. If you see someone at the front who's not got someone praying for them, be willing to say yes to God to be used in that moment, to stand alongside one another, that we would believe for one another that God wants to do something deep in our lives today and that we wouldn't walk away just from another Sunday, but we'd walk away transformed. My prayer for us is that we'd go away from here hungry, not for experience, but that we'd go away hungry for more of God, that we'd go away hungry for that, those deep roots that Jesus had that led him to live the extraordinary life that we can read about in the Gospels. So let me pray for us before we respond. And then it's over to you. Jesus, we worship you that you were fully surrendered and fully committed to the mission you came to carry out here. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are the saviour of the world, that you've made it possible for us to walk in relationship with you. And I pray this morning that you'd stir our hearts. I pray this morning that you'd make us dissatisfied with what we have known so far. And God, that you would put a deep hunger in us today for more of you. And so I pray for courage today, God, for, for all of us who need to respond this morning. God, would you give us courage to walk out the front, to have someone pray with us that we would expect to walk out of here different. And so, Jesus, we give this time to you. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.